0: And boom, we are back for another episode of AlphaCast. My name is Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando up here on the Smith River in the beautiful state of Jefferson, where we are enjoying the fall. It barely feels like fall. We, we did get our first frost, but we've had some beautiful days. It looks like the rain's finally coming in, so uh, we're excited for the fall and winter we can, so we can start to focus more on our digital offerings. We will be building out more and more content rapidly for you guys. for the co-op members and our Patreon members. So if you are um, into all this content and this discussion, please go join our co-op. And that is at patreon.com forward slash alpha vedic. We've got all sorts of great stuff coming. And uh, we have uh, an amazing guest on today. Someone we've been um, really a fan of for a long time. Dr. Thomas Cowan, MD. Uh, he has a new book out, uh, Contagion Myth, and which I've started reading a couple nights ago and I'm really enjoying to read. Highly recommend it to everybody. I know a lot of people in our community have already purchased it and it's been shared many times on our Telegram. So we are big supporters of Tom. Uh, Thomas Cowan, MD, has studied and written about Many subjects in medicine, including nutrition, homeopathy, anthroposophical medicine, and herbal medicine. He is author of The Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, The Fourfold Path to Healing, The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care, and The Contagion Myth, which he recently just put out. Dr. Cowan has served as vice president of the Physicians Association for Anthroposophic Medicine and as a founding board member of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Dr. Tom's latest book, The Contagion Myth, asks the question, are there really such things as viruses or are electrosmog toxic living conditions in 5G actually to blame for COVID-19? In usual fashion, we're going to just jump into this conversation today and hopefully take this to levels that haven't been discussed really in a public forum, as we like to do. Uh, this is a subject that's really close to our heart, but also, as you guys know, we like the conversation to go everywhere. I guess there was an election this week. I don't know. Um, Bitcoin seems to be going pretty good now, so I'm stoked. Bitcoin crossed the 14000 uh, barrier. By the way, I'm rocking the my new uh, It's Time for Plan B shirt. Um, which it is. And I have an extra large, if anybody likes the shirt, uh, from the Alphabetic crew and wants one Alphabetic, we'll send you one for free. I've got a large, a men's large. So if you want, and it's time for plan B shirt and you uh, resonate with that, uh, hit me up on telegram and I'll send you from Alphabetic. We'll send you a free large shirt of this. It's actually got silver running through it. And it's quantum charged. Uh, it's uh, from Philip over at uh, Lila Technologies. So really appreciate the gifts, Philip. And I want to forward this to somebody else in the community that would appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Berlando, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you. And Tom, such a pleasure to have you here. And thanks so much uh, for taking the time for us. This should be a great chat. Um, you. you know, I've this done a few so you, interviews man. in the last few months. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, uh, you know, the last few months I've been doing a few interviews in different venues because I have a background in bioterrain medicine, and that seems to be a hot topic these days. And, and I'm really gratified to see the, you know, the discussion reach the public. Uh, you know, I started bioterrain medicine in the late seventies, actually, uh, when I was in naturopathic college and, um. You know, the bioterrain, you know, medicine that I was introduced to is from the old German school, and and it just made perfect sense to me and I never looked back. And uh, so finally, again, because of your efforts and and a few other notables, uh, people are actually starting to question uh, the conventional narrative of germ theory. Um, and, and that's a very positive thing. Uh, you know, the bioterrain to me over the years has kind of morphed into more the electromagnetic bioterrain. And, uh, you know, because that's really in my opinion where things emanate from. And I think part of what the operation is these days is to keep us mired into just arguing about the rudimentary so that we don't get to the real good stuff that, you know, I think is, uh, kind of being used against us these days, but it's really important if we can help people just wrap their minds around the fact that uh, our bodies are, are not designed to be a battlefield or turn against us or, or, you know, our little symbionts, uh, you know, or our enemies. So, uh, you you know, you can take it uh, wherever you like. I know you, we have some similar backgrounds in anthroposophical, uh, in, uh, you know, all, all sorts of, uh, you know, parallel, uh, you know, types of trainings and things. So we can talk about anything you like and glad to have you here.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, it might help if you, if you sort of focus us in on what you would like. I mean, I can talk about the history of the germ theory, or I can skip that and get into, you know, what is a human being and, and what are diseases? So it, it really depends on what you want me to talk about. I, I'm happy to do okay. whatever. How about, if
1: we, how about if we use your new book as a segue into everything else and we'll start there? Does that sound okay?
2: Yeah, that's fine. So, so okay, so you, if you want me to sort of launch in. So the, the question we were asking is... Um, do, and specifically this, it goes back before viruses to bacteria, but do bacteria cause disease or do microbes cause disease? And I think if we're going to talk about that, we, sh- we, we need to be as clear as possible with definitions and terms. So when I say microbes, I'm at least right now talking about bacteria and viruses. I'm not talking about fungus and I'm not talking about you know, parasites. And I mean, there's, that's a whole different subject. So the, the thing I tell people is the idea that there's uh, unseen things that make people sick, and then they make one person sick and then another person sick that idea has been around for a really long time. Uh, you know, the Greeks talked about it and a lot of different people, talked about that there was a possibility of that. You know, I went to a party and then I got sick. So it looks like things are passed between one person or another. Now, it's also interesting that when you look at all the other types of medicine, like Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Native American medicine, none of them actually had this idea of contagion. So this was not something that they thought was cause of disease. So so they go on like that for a couple thousand years. And I would also point out to people that these observations, like a lot of people get sick in the same place, therefore it must be a microbe. Those are called epidemiological observations. And there's no scientist in the world of any note who thinks that proves it's caused by a virus. And I often point out, if you think because a lot of people in the same place get sick, that must be a virus, then you must think that Hiroshima was a virus. And if you think that because something spreads from one place to another, that must mean it's a virus, then you must think that Chernobyl was a virus because Chernobyl, a lot of people got sick, then it started spreading over Eastern Europe and Western Europe, and nobody thinks that's a virus. And there was another famous one for hundreds of years or so. They thought scurvy was a virus, or not a virus. They thought it was a contagion because a lot of sailors got sick in a ship and then one after another got sick and their teeth fell out and they went into heart failure. And they said it must be something being passed that we can't see from one person to another. And then some, someday somebody ate a lemon or a lime and the whole thing went away because it was vitamin C deficiency. So. You can't use epidemiological observations to prove a microbe causation. The role of epidemiology is to generate theories or hypotheses which then you can test. And now I tell people that there's plenty of evidence that COVID is caused by a microbe epidemiologically, so I agree we should test it and we did and it turns out it's not. I mean and i don't need any more epidemiological observations i don't need you to tell me about aunt bessie went to a party or somebody went to korea and got sick or a nursing home or these are all you know interesting but they don't prove anything nobody thinks they prove anything so in the face of that there was a couple of eureka moments there was a eureka moment in the 1800s So they're thinking there's something past, we can't see it, they invent a light microscope, they see a bacteria, they see that some people with a certain sickness uh, have bacteria at the site of their injury, like in their throat. And they say, Eureka, we found it, the bacteria are are making them sick. Now, I would only point out that observing something at the site of an injury, does not prove causation, right? Cuz you know, you can have firemen at the site of fires and as far as I know nobody thinks firemen caused the fires. So so the next step was to do what a normal person would do, which is isolate the bacteria from the person, right? So you want to know whether it's the bacteria that's causing the sickness. And you isolate the bacteria. Now If you permit me, let me just put this in context because this is not a medical thing. It's a human thing. So if I asked you, and if you want to just play along with me, I might be a little fun. So let, and, and just pay attention to the wording I use. If I said, I have a theory that the caffeine in coffee makes your blood pressure go up, right? That's my epidemiological theory. Okay, so now I want to prove it. So I take a coffee bean and I grind it up in a coffee grinder. I put it in a capsule. I give it to 10 people. I give another 10 people just water. All 10 people, their blood pressure goes up. Have I proven that it's the caffeine in the coffee beans that causes high blood pressure?
1: I would say no. Because, because there's other things possibly in coffee beans other than caffeine.
2: Correct, very simple. That's what any human being would say. There's fiber, there's oils, there's, I don't know what else, but there's a lot of things. Okay, so let's, let's pare that down. Let's put it through a coffee filter, right? Some people, I don't drink coffee, but some people do. And they get a liquid which has the caffeine in it. At least we think it does. Now, I give 10 people the coffee from the filter. I give 10 people water. All 10 people, their blood pressure goes up. Have I now proven that caffeine in the coffee makes high blood pressure?
1: I'd say, you know, we've still got a ways to go to isolate that.
2: I agree, because we got all kinds of things. So now we use a very simple chemical method like flow cytometry or centrifugation and so we spin it out or we use a sort of a magnet and we pull out only the chemical caffeine now nobody would believe that we only have the chemical caffeine so we send it to a lab and we they do an analysis and they say the only thing you have in this sample is caffeine right that's the only thing And then two other people repeat your steps. All you got is caffeine. Then you give that to 10 people, 10 people water. Their blood pressure goes up. Have I now proven it?
1: I think we're getting pretty close. I still like to see the rest of the stuff in the coffee bean, uh, you know, omitting the caffeine to see if that does it. But well, I'd say, I yeah, actually disagree because I think so if
2: you only can prove that you have caffeine, mm-hmm. that's pretty good evidence that it's the caffeine in the coffee that causes the high blood pressure.
1: Absolutely proves that caffeine does that. Yeah, yeah. I agree.
2: Okay, so and and so that's the that's the steps. So with a bacteria or a virus, so first they had a bacteria. They pull out the the bacteria. They show it, to, show it to you, prove it to you. They only have a bacteria. They give it to a bunch of animals. They give it to people. And lo and behold, none got sick. I mean, you know, I, I often tell people, like for me, it, it's no skin off my nose which one it was. If it was, if they got sick, then it's the bacteria. If they didn't get sick, it wasn't. Like, what do I care? I mean, I don't have any... I don't have any dog in this fight. So it turns out Pasteur and all his contemporaries, they isolated anthrax, they isolated a bunch of things. They couldn't make any animal sick. And so they gained the system by putting like arsenic into the culture and then injecting animals with, quote, virulent anthrax, which meant anthrax plus arsenic. And then they got sick. And then they said, see, the anthrax makes them sick. And you know, then famously said, well, it turns out the germ is nothing and the terrain is everything. So the question then, it, so that was a disproof of bacteria causing disease. So the question you have to ask yourself is what are those bacteria doing there, right? I'm not saying they're not there. But if you look into nature, what you find is, you know, if you have a compost pile, I'm a gardener, you put dead squirrels in it, you get funky bacteria eating the squirrel. Now, nobody says the compost pile has an infection. The bacteria and fungus, they digest dead and diseased tissue. It could be dead and diseased from, you know, electromagnetic pollution, it could be poisoning, it could be emotions, it could be a lot of things. But if your tonsils are dying, the strep comes to help you out by digesting the dead tissue. In the process, you feel sick. And then when it's done digesting it, you're all better and it's helped you out. So that's the alternative theory. um
1: yeah, and on the farm here, I noticed there's a whole lot more composting going on outside during the winter months. So could that possibly, uh, uh, could we extrapolate that to why there might be flu season more prevalent in the cold months?
2: Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like that maybe it's... our
1: body does composting it seasonally. Yeah.
2: Right. So, but, but the thing is, the point is, that is the role of bacteria and fungus in nature. You know, imagine if you had a forest, you cut down a tree and there was no, you said the forest has an infection. So I'm going to spread antibiotics and antifungals. Next thing you know, you'd have a million trees piled up and the forest would be dead. So without these bacteria and fungus, you know, recycling dead, dead and dying tissue, we got nothing. So... Anyway, so, so they go from that, and then they find a number of illnesses like polio where they can't find a bacteria. So then they say, there must be something smaller than a bacteria, which we don't have the technology to see, and that must be causing these situations like polio where we can't find a bacteria. And they called it a virus for the old Latin word for poison. So, so, so then they do experiments. Now, Here's how they do it. They, they took like diseased brain from somebody who had polio and they ground it up like a coffee grinder, same as coffee. And then they put it through a filter paper and then they injected it into animals. Now, none of us would say that that proves it was a virus because just like we wouldn't say that proves it was the caffeine. The caffeine is a thing right? And the virus is a thing. We're not saying it's an emotion or God or something or a thought or a wave. It's a thing. And so a thing, you got to separate the thing and see what happens. So they didn't separate it. But even using their solution of unpurified stuff, they couldn't make an animal sick. They tried 20 different animals. And then they said something very interesting, which is that means there's no animal model for polio which is interesting because they can't do it on humans because that's unethical they can't make animals sick because there's no animal model which is an interesting play on words you could also say you can't make humans sick you can't make animals sick what makes you think it makes anything sick uh anyways so well, finally, What about I,
0: looking back into history, too, to see why why wasn't polio in the record books before? Yeah, you know? before
2: they started spraying <laughs> and, and dipping the cattle with arsenic, lead arsenic. Right. So then they finally proved that it was contagious because they took some of this unpurified fluid. They took two monkeys, drilled a hole in their brain, put a half a cup of fluid in their brain, one monkey died. One got paralyzed. They held the monkey up and say, see, polio is contagious. They didn't do a <laughs> control. They didn't inject a half a pound of pea soup or, or water or anything. I mean, this is ridiculous. But anyways, so now they have all these, quote, uh, illnesses that are caused by something they can't see, and they go on for 20, 30 years trying to... Sh- demonstrate contagion but because they can't purify anything it's who knows what they're dealing with and then comes the second eureka moment which is the invention of the light uh, sorry the electron microscope so now you can see it right so they do the same coffee steps they macerate tissue they um they fit they filter it they centrifuge it they suck out the pure band of these particles that they can see and so and they show it with an electron microscope right here we have only herpes virus only chickenpox virus they so we have purified you know particles they expose animals to it none of them get sick they expose people to it none of them get sick they do this for 20 years and they said Let's all go home, we should be plumbers because there's no pathogens here. But somebody came along, a guy named Embers and said, no, I can prove that this makes you sick by taking this unpurified fluid and putting it on a tissue culture. That means just like kidney tissue. And the kidney tissue didn't die. And so then he said, well, I can help it by starving the kidney tissue. It's called minimal nutrient medium, and it still didn't die. And then he said, I can put in poisons like genomycin and amphotericin, which are kidney poisons, believe it or not. And then the kidney tissue dies. And when you read this, you think something like, what the fuck, you know, like, like how do you know it wasn't <laughs> from starving and poisoning the tissue? And the answer is he didn't know. And that became a viral culture, which is to this day how we prove that viruses cause disease. Now, the, the whole point of this book, and that was a long-winded answer was, if somebody can show me that they took you know, secretions or blood or snot or somebody from a person with COVID and they macerate it, right? Grind it like a coffee bean, filter it, centrifuge it, show me the picture of the pure virus, show that that pure virus causes disease, I will rescind the book. But nobody, not only has nobody done that, nobody even attempted to do that. And so the whole thing, at this point, we have no evidence that there is a virus. And if you don't have any evidence there is a virus, you can't say the virus does anything. But there's then no evidence that the virus causes disease. And that's where we're at.
1: So you do a great job laying that out sequentially, uh, so much so that any layperson can understand. And I can understand why a lot of the population believes in, you know, the conventional narrative, because they say, well, why would, you know, medical institutions lie to us? What I don't understand is how more doctors don't see through it and continue with the same belief system.
2: I mean, so let me answer that in one way because, uh, and, and I'm a little bit then outing myself here. So, you know, I'm a medical doctor, right? I always went to medical school, residency, was an ER doctor as I was, I mean, mostly I did it for money was I was building up my practice, but And then I go on and I even eventually three years or four years ago or whatever, write a book about vaccines and which has a lot to do with viral illnesses. Now here's the, and and by the way, I'm very good friends with a guy who it's about 30 years ago, put up $100,000 to anybody who could prove to him by this evidence, I said, you know, show me the picture of an HIV virus isolated from an AIDS person, right? I'm, I'm friends with the guy, you know, and, and I know also what a good investor he is. Uh, and he doesn't part with his money easily. He said, I'll give anybody $100,000 to show me that. And I can tell you that to this day, he still has his $100,000. So I was not a novice about any of this, right? I, I read about Stefan Lenka offering hundred thousand uh, dollars, sorry, hundred thousand euros in the German court system to anybody who could prove the existence of a measles virus. Not even that measles virus causes measles, just that it exists and he won and they said, A, there's no evidence. B, you have to pay the court costs, the other guy, because this was a frivolous lawsuit. Um, So my point of that is I was not a novice in this, right? And yet, if you had asked me two years ago to go through the steps that I just went through of how we isolate, purify, characterize, and demonstrate a pathogenicity of a virus, i couldn't have done it the only reason i can today and 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 so if i couldn't do it having spent 35 years in 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 the business of thinking about this you know i didn't know anything about this from medical school i i knew nothing now the only reason i can do it today is i happened to I, i knew that viruses didn't cause disease they are if, if the body is poisoned by electromagnetic fields specifically, but other things too, it could be thoughts, it could be fear, it could be arsenic, it could be GMO food, you know, it could be a lot of things, anything that deteriorates the DNA, the body packages that up and sends it out as a message to the world and as a detoxification mechanism. That's what this virus they are, they come from inside us, not from outside us. You can you can demonstrate that easily with the science. So so I knew that part. And so I <clears throat> inadvertently made this video. I didn't know I was even being filmed. You know, somebody films me saying at the beginning of COVID, there's no way this is a viral cause. The body uses viruses to poop out poisons. And then I talked a little bit about how, you know, millimeter waves deteriorate the the DNA and the body poops out these poisoned encapsulated videos. And then I went home and then next thing I know, this was seen by a hundred million people. I'm told. Uh, And I got calls from the BBC and, you know, and I said to myself, Tom, you better figure out about how to, Uh, know about virology (laughs) because uh, because people are going to be asking you and and eventually uh Andy Kaufman helped me a lot um and I Stefan Lenka and I could see it now I mean I was close but I could see it and the reason I'm saying that is because if you don't take it on yourself as a doctor or medical person to really question this you will not see it. And all I can say is I've come to the conclusion that like the fairy tale of, of sleeping beauty, that the world is under a spell. And it's a spell of a kind of dogma. And just like in the story, you know, the the witch, which is materialism, the thinking that only material stuff exists, only particles exist not waves, only particles, that's the meaning of the witch in fairy tales. She puts a spell on on the kingdom, the princess falls asleep, and only when the prince says to himself, I am not afraid of this, then the materialism has no power over him and he, he rescues the kingdom. We're in the lockdown spell stage. Everything is done and we have a choice. We can either be afraid and believe the dogma, which turns out not to be even true. It's not even scientifically reasonable as can, you can easily prove uh, as I, you know, I have documents from the CDC saying there's no virus. I have documents from the Canadian health department saying people ask them did you purify and isolate the virus show me the study and they say no i have a a document from the leading public health department in europe who they say they were tasked it's, it's very interesting to read this let me just read it european health department tasked with developing a test for the coronavirus this is in january 2020 They say, quote, we aim to develop and deploy robust diagnostic methodology for use in public health laboratories without having virus material available. I mean, it's like, it's like, Mike, I want you to make a test for a unicorn. Mike says, can you show me a unicorn? (laughs) Tom says, no, you have to make a test without having a unicorn. Mike says, That's ridiculous. Tom says, I'll pay you a million dollars in the next week. If you do it, Mike says, I'll give it a try.
0: I found a horn. What what do you know? I found a horn for a million dollars. I'll make a unicorn.
2: Yes. You find a horn, you put it in the computer and it makes you a unicorn and then you get a Nobel prize for finding a spiky horn. And that's, you know, so, are people going to believe me? I mean, I don't know. That's that's what happened, uh, and I don't know.
0: Well, that's- what what we're dealing with, what we talk about all the time, is this idea of science, scientism versus uh, science, you know, actual real empirical science, which is what we support here at Alpha Vedic. And I always relate this analogy to the Catholic Church's reign for a thousand years, which was based on dogma and based on really a mysticism of many sorts where disease came from demons or the devil. And that's really what germ theory is. And so we have this foundation built upon. Uh, The new religion, uh, the dogmatic materialism, uh, reductionism, which we talk about every podcast, which is what you exactly said. And that's why I feel people just go through the rigor all of the of going to medical school all based on that. And it's really become a corporatized entity now that controls everything. And we're looking at it right now with the election, with with the economy, with the debt bubble. It's all related. It's all interplaying together. It's as you say, this is a, and I believe this is a magical time. And I love your analogy of the, the witch with the spell because literally we have, for the first time that I can know in my life, have the ability for humanity to, to see it and say, okay, which, which way do we want to go? We're seeing two different, two different paths going. Those who actually, right now with the election, is a great example. Those who are watching, putting on CNN or Fox or any of those and listening and believing that, or those who are looking more at the empirical data, the people on the ground. And, and, and trusting themselves with their own research. And that has to be the same for health. It has to be the same for your spirituality. That has to be the same for your community and everything. People need to start taking responsibility for their lives. So the germ theory thing, why we talk about it so much is because I feel like it's such an eye opener for this entire reality. So people can be open to that. And that's what I really love about what you do too, Tom, is you tie in like Steiner and these ideas of spirit. And, and how that really, it's a much bigger picture than what materialism gives us.
2: Yeah, or I distill that in the trouble with science is it's not very scientific.
0: Exactly. But it can be. I mean, we can get and, back yeah, there.
2: Yeah, you're right. You, you know, you could. And, and if you, again, the thing is, the thing is, there aren't only things in, in existing in the world. And even if you get into, so what is a thing anyways? You know, they say a thing is a particle and a particles are made of atoms and atoms are made of 99.99% nothing or space. And so the whole thing becomes a kind of grand illusion in the first place. But if you forget about that and you just say, okay, we live in this material universe and we have things, there is a clear and practical and logical and scientific way of evaluating the nature of things, just like I laid out with the caffeine. That's how any reasonable person would do it. Now, for a whole lot of reasons, they don't do that with viruses. And they write, they write papers published in the New, Jer- New England Journal isolation of the novel coronavirus. And people send me these all the time. And then they say, how come you don't believe them? And I say, because I'm sighted. And people say, what do you mean by that? I say, it means I'm not blind. It don't mean I have some mystical insight. It means they have you, if you wanna say you isolated and purified it, you have to show me a picture you know, I have one here of pure chicken pox virus. I don't, you probably can't see it. That tells me that they did it and found only this virus. Doesn't mean the virus is making you sick. Uh, but they don't show you that. They show you a smudge of tissue. They point with an arrow at the thing they say is this coronavirus. There's no evidence that it that it's doing anything anything more than an exosome produced by our tissues to detoxify, and I can see that in one minute because I can see and I see what they're the evidence that they're presenting, and it's not science.
0: Yeah, exactly. You
1: know, there's there's other ways to get to the truth too, and in clinical medicine you get to have a live body and maybe, you know, like in my old clinic days, I didn't have the uh, research lab and and all the facilities of a hospital, but I did have certain ways to ascertain how to just do the treatments that I was trained in. And then you got to observe the results and our results were much different than what the mainstream uh, conventional system was getting with the same sort of illnesses. You know, what really opened my eyes uh, back in the 80s is I had a tremendous amount of AIDS cases that were' seeing me and uh, you know we were able to connect some dots very easily which is typical clinical protocols and treatment and observing the results that are very easy for any doctor to do without double-blind studies and and all the things that we require these days to to determine if something is true or not yeah. so um Yeah, then that goes back to the question of in conventional medicine, when we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and people keep getting sicker, life expectancy still, uh, you know, plummet, and uh, things that were rare at one time, as far as uh, conditions are now epidemic, there comes a point where any reasonable people need to sit back and say, you know, what are we doing wrong here? Or what are we missing?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a different part of this story. But because when when you separate yourself out from it's the bacteria that's, that's making you sick and you say it's the bacteria that are eating the disease tissue or eating the poison that that's what's making you sick, then you start doing a whole different kind of medicine, which is A, you stop poisoning yourself and B, you start getting rid of poisons and strengthening your tissue and finding out what you're actually made out of, which is an interesting discussion and things like that. But uh, same with viruses. You realize that, that these viruses are particles that come from in our tissues when we're basically poisoned. And they're a way of detoxifying and a way of communicating with the world through resonance like a tree does. You, you have beetles eating a tree The beetle sends out messages through its roots saying we all have to protect ourselves from beetles. And the the interesting thing about that is it tells you that this this theory that we have of mutations and survival of the fittest, the whole genetic dogma is a bunch of hooey. And the reality is the world is an interconnected communication system and there is no survival of the fittest. Genetic mutations are not the driver of anything. And because all you have to do is say, okay, so you have a new poison like glyphosate, then one woman has a mutation that makes it so she can get rid of glyphosate. And so she's then gonna spread this to all her descendants in the state of Oregon. You know how long that would take before everybody in Oregon is a descendant of, of that woman? Or what happened if that woman was a 60-year-old post-menopausal woman? Or what if she decided to not have children? Then the whole thing is done. And anyways, it would take thousands of years at which time there's no more glyphosate because now we use dicamba or something. And so that whole natural selection, mu- genetic mutation thing is, is, is just garbage. The, the way that it works is there's, there's adaptation in real time, you get poisoned, you send out a piece of genetic material, that's called a virus. It's not a pathogen from the outside. It signals by resonance to all its friends and maybe even animals. We have to make a protective response because we are all in this together. There is no survival to fittest. If If only one tree is left, that tree is in trouble because can't hold on to the water and it's too hot and the sun is too much. Tree, you know, trees, everything needs everything else. So we've been we've been told and sold a, a very irrational, unscientific view of nature, essentially. And it's really because, as Goethe once said, the problem started when we decided we wanted to understand frogs, right? We want to understand what makes frogs tick, how frogs live, how to help frogs. So what's the first thing we do? We get a frog and we kill the frog. And I can tell you that didn't help that frog one bit because that frog's dead. (laughs) And, And anyways, all these other ways of seeing the world say, there's nothing left to study, the frog's dead i mean you know you can't figure out how to help a living frog once the frog is dead and that is a huge conceptual mistake that we made and every other mistake is sometimes like i say to people your doctor thinks you're dead because all he thinks that exists is the dead material and so therefore he tries to kill you like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know Well, he already thought you were dead, so you might as well be dead. So then he knows he he has a better idea of what's the matter with you. Now, that's maybe a little exaggerated.
0: And what's ironic is we're considered dead at sea anyways with the way law goes and with our birth certificates, which is a whole other thing. But it's all plays together. Like, it's this death worship that seems to be prevalent throughout all modern society.
1: It does seem to... It does seem to be a death cult of some type, for sure. You know, as, as you went through uh, my first semester in school, I got issued a cadaver that I had to, you know, dissect over a course of two semesters. And so, you know, you start out in medical training, uh, studying dead things. In the uh, field of old school osteopathy, you know, we do a lot of work around Uh, craniopathy and uh, you know training ourselves to feel the movements of the cranium and make adjustments and then a lot of the detractors like quack watch and places like that say that's that's ludicrous because everybody knows that after a certain age the you know the sutures in the cranium uh, fused and there's absolutely no movement and of course that's also based on the study of cadavers where those things do ossify after death and then meanwhile the italian anatomist you know started studying live people and said oh as a matter of fact those sutures are open to movement and you know so again i think your point's well taken we have to start studying things in our live state and you know last week we had a great uh a uh, couple guests on who were, um, you know, uh, their whole field is live cell microscopy. And, and that's the thing I did a big part of my bioterrain medicine over the years. And you're actually looking at live cells under the microscope and you get a whole different narrative when you do that as compared to staining slides, uh, you know, which definitely brings out certain elements, but kills everything in the process.
2: Right, and, and in fact, if we want to get into something that I generally haven't talked about much, and I, I would say this comes under the category of, I can't exactly prove what I'm about to say, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct, uh, which is because people say live cell analysis. But let, let me take you both through a process here and see if we can come to an understanding. So. If I asked you, what is a human being made out of? And we're again, just as a background, we're trying to be very clear and not speculate and not get into what we believe or not believe. Just, just, what is a human being made out of? Anybody want to answer that?
1: I believe it's a composite of electrical vectors. And I say that not just pure speculation, but in uh, training in other areas that I've applied to clinical medicine successfully, we actually have a way to measure those before and after.
0: Got and you it. see Mike, you physiology change. I'll, I'll play. I'll but say, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll say for the purpose of the exercise that uh, we're made of cells.
2: Okay, here's my answer. We, we're made of a head and feet and arms and toenails and <laughs> n- nose hairs, most of us, and ears and a few other things. I, I have a feeling that I'm more accurate than either one of you, do you agree? <laughs> I, I don't in think a certain way, anybody I'll play anybody in the history of the world who would disagree with what I just said, right? Correct,
1: correct. Point okay. taken.
2: Okay, next step. What What is inside all that stuff? So we see a person, they got a head, they got a chest, they got hands. Uh, all cultures, all medical systems agreed with that. So what's inside that? Skeleton. Skeleton, anything else?
0: I mean, bl- blood, uh, uh, you know.
2: O- organs, t- organs, you know. Heart, liver, kidneys, all that stuff, right? Correct. And and all cultures, all medical systems thought that was true. Everybody said we had a heart. Everybody says we have a liver. They say that the energy flow through your liver is good or bad or whatever. Uh, You can see it. You can cut open a person who's alive. You can see their heart. You can see their liver. You can see them on CT scans, scans. mris you can see it on an ultrasound all that stuff i don't think there's any any reasonable person who says we don't have blood or a heart or a liver or a kidney i would hope I so agree agreed okay let's agreed. take one of those like a liver what is the liver made out of tissue tissue any other answer
1: i i suppose we're nearing the cellular level now right
2: right so most people say a liver is made of liver cells now how do you know that
0: you you take the liver out
2: well you you can see
1: them
0: yeah
2: you can see them can you see them while it's still in your liver no no i don't think i know i haven't seen it and i don't think anybody has The only way you can see that the liver is made of liver cells is to kill the frog, right? You take somebody's liver, you take a piece of it out and you look, you stain it, poison it, you cut it up into little pieces, you look at it under a microscope and there's liver cells. Now the problem is that could be an artifact because we know that when you take bacteria and you threaten them, They form somatids or microzyma or all that. So we know that that tissue has the ability to coalesce into protective forms. Now let's think about this a little bit, because when you do an ultrasound or you do a CT scan, or when you go in and feel somebody's liver, it does not feel like a collection of cells. It feels like and looks like a homogenous tissue. And So what is this homogenous tissue? It's basically structured water. Now, if you take like the lens of your eye, it is structured. So you have water, you have proteins, nucleic acids, fats, minerals, a whole bunch of stuff. And it's all organized to be transparent to light. Now, there is no cells in there. That's an artifact. In fact, the cellular theory got started around the same time, 1857, I think it was, by Rudolf Virchow, and it became how we do medicine, and everybody believes in cells. But the reality is we don't see the cells, and frankly, it's a stupid idea, because why would you break up a liver, why would you break up a lens of an eye into a million little pieces how is that gonna help the light be transparent through the lens? How is it gonna help the liver to, to break itself up into millions of pieces rather than being a homogeneous tissue that's, that's the energy structuring the water using proteins, minerals, and all these other things to create a incredibly strong and functional tissue which we call liver, which has its energy flow, which you talked about. You are way too far down the road for me. Now, the reason (laughs) this is important is, for instance, what is a cancer? So imagine you have this perfect crystalline liver, right? Crystalline water. Now, that's not transparent because the purpose of a liver is not to let light through. It's to do something else. But you start putting garbage in the liver. And that could be a whole lot of garbage. So you put it in a garbage can and that's called a liver cell tumor. And then you put more garbage and you make more cells. And then finally you've filled up your room and you have to f- put it in the next room. And now you have metastatic uh, cancer. And the only time you actually see cells in a living being is cancer cells, which are the garbage collection devices. So that's the therapy for a poison tissue. Tissue says, oh, you poisoned me. I can't function just like your house. You put so much garbage in your house, you put it in garbage cans. And, you know, even sometimes you get better if you take the garbage cans out. But if you keep putting garbage in, it doesn't really work. And that, that explanation explains all of natural medicine right there. You, you stimulate the healthy tissue, which is much stronger and more functional than a million broken up little pieces that have to have communication and all this stuff. Why? Just have it be a hom- homogeneous crystalline water structure. And it, if that's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. Uh, why not? And by the way, people say, well, what about red blood cells? Because you can see them live. But if you say the definition of a cell is cell membrane cytoplasm nucleus mitochondria, a red blood cell has no nucleus. It is not a cell. It is an oxygen delivery device. And that's different. Of course, you can have little particles uh, that do things, but that's not a cell nor is a sperm, which is a nuclear material delivery device. Anyways.
1: So, um, so we, uh, you know, great points. And I agree that anything taken out of context, including a blood slide that I used to look at all the time is not the real thing, which is why we would always base mostly on the living person with hands-on assessment. Now we're short on time here, and you open up the door to uh, blood cells and carrying oxygen. I'd love to talk about the heart is not a pump, but I don't think we're going to be able to even give the cliff notes in uh, the next four minutes here. But uh, anything, you know, I, I think that's a marvelous discussion because it just shows one of the, you know, a major fallacy that we all believe in. I went down that road a long time ago, and in our Walter Russell circles, you know, we had a character that I know you're aware of, uh, you know, uh, that developed a chestahedron and everything. So uh, anything we can comment on that before we close?
2: I mean, it's just an absurd, you know, concept that this one pound organ can push this sticky fluid with stuff floating in it that's the size of the vessels, the internal diameter of the vessels you know, miles and miles, like or three times around the earth, you know, the idea that this one pound organ can do that is just, it's, you know, I would have used to call it a fairy tale, but fairy tales actually have truth in them. So I've changed the word, <laughs> it's a superstition. And that's, you know, there was a, one of my favorite books, a guy I think who lives near you, it's called The Culture of Make-Believe. And that's really what we we're talking about here. This is make-believe science that has no relevance uh, to how fluid moves in, in, in tubes and, and vessels. And to go into that, I don't wanna go into it right now, but I wrote a whole book about that. Uh, and you mm-hmm. can see that yeah, the water is the driver of the, of, the, of the movement of the blood.
0: The structured water thing, too, is something that's fascinating to us. And I really think what we're looking at is what quote-unquote science is seeing are the after effects of consciousness, chi, prana, life force. As um, uh, someone in the chat said here, after hands, feet, etc., I would say inside all of that is life force, what we call prana, chi. And really, that's where... We need to be getting to and that's something dr lando has really understood forever and i know you have understood and here's a trippy question i want to throw out because i know he's he's a big fan steiner to god is his name (laughs) on our chat um he he's just wondering what uh let me find this here uh i'd be interested to hear tom's views on what steiner said about the role of person's karma in illness and recovery i know that could be a big topic but this is something that's important to my heart and to what we talk about in terms of, and this is where we go, by the way, Tom, on, in our discussions. So this is nothing new to our community. We go there in relating so, all of this stuff. So I don't know <laughs> your, your ideas on that.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to defer that question for a very, uh, I'll explain the reason. Um, this, this whole process of being so scrutinized has taught me a, a bunch of things one of which is don't believe anybody. And so I, I, I have got out of the business of quoting what people say, because as soon as I do that, somebody gives me a counter quote saying, he didn't say that, or he said something else. And turns out sometimes it's true. And then I don't like being in that situation. So I'm no longer in the business of saying what Steiner or anybody said, um, except insofar as I know whether it's true or not. And so I don't know, and I don't know that I even care anymore what anybody said, except as something for information for me to investigate. And so I don't really know the answer to that.
0: Fair enough. Appreciate that. Um, well, guys, uh, any any, I know we, we're running up on time right now, Tom, and we, as people are saying in the chat, I mean, really, we could go on for hours on this i mean i would have loved to dive deep into ideas of virus and i i personally believe they package a lot into the term of virus and that it's much more simple than what they try to just like they do with disease right they they package yeah, a just, lot it's just into, stuff it's
2: just <laughs> dna packaged up for, or rna from us that's all yeah. they used yeah. to think it was from so thomas or anything now it's so many
1: sorry sorry um, do you have anything, any final comments or things you'd like to talk about?
2: Just, you know, we, we need more Gnostic people who, who, and that's why I always start simply, like, like what are we made out of? And if you, not, not that I disagree with what you said, but what I find is to make agreement with people. Like we all agree humans have a head. Like, I don't care whether you're a Republican or a sovereign or whatever, a Martian or something. Um, That's the fact. Then you can go from there and then you can see if, if we can make sense out of this world. If people start with too far down the road, like, you know, whatever, then it's just becomes, I don't believe your facts. You don't believe mine. We got nowhere. And. That's not going to get us anywhere.
1: And uh, why do we need to agree with each other in the first place, or expect yeah. to everybody have the same experience?
2: Right, we don't. I mean, point well taken. We do have to have as many opinions as possible, or at least I think we should. That's why you know, yeah. banning banning my book without anybody saying page thirty nine is factually incorrect, but we. We welcome that. We asked for people to say, you know, page 57, you said, you know, virus on this reference and you're wrong, and that's fine. I'm happy to hear that. I'll even change the book. But to say I don't have a right to say that, I mean, I don't know. So
1: since Amazon has banned your book, how can people find it?
2: Right now, the Best place is the Dr. Tom Cowan, D-R-T-O-M-C-O-W-A-N.com. Barnes & Noble sometimes seems to have it, and I think there's a place called Books a Million or something, but it's been problematic, so we have it. That's probably the best place.
1: Wonderful. Tom, I uh, you're a breath of fresh air out there. And I think you bring a very grounded perspective. And I certainly appreciate that. And, and thank you once again for being with us today.
2: All right, guys. Thanks for having me. You guys take care.
1: Thanks, Tom. You too. Thanks for,
0: thanks for being on today. Talk to okay, you later. Bye-bye. Bye. And thank you guys for being with us today. Um, what a wonderful conversation. Bear, any uh, closing statements from you or anything you want to add?
1: No, I'd say um, just, uh, you know, really a good chat. And he makes a lot of wonderful points. And, um, you know, we're all in different places on the same journey. And some of us have chosen to follow certain breadcrumbs, other people, others. And I have my experience and I didn't get to my belief systems overnight. It was based on, you know, many years of uh of experience and trial and error, and seeing what you know proved true over time, and and what seemed to extrapolate over into other individuals, you know, that we saw in clinic, and, and all the way to present experiences where we're we are working on very refined, advanced levels of waveform mechanics, and um, and I think Tom's right on because if somebody like me goes into that level very few people have you know availed themselves to that experience so they're going to have a hard time following me whereas Tom I think is wonderful and uh, yeah we can all agree uh in a starting place and uh, maybe we can all catch up a lot sooner if we do that
0: yeah I and I think the number one thing is just being open to everyone's different ideas this idea that if you have a different belief system you must be shut down which is a very scary proposition that we're seeing a lot on certain avenues, certain areas of the mainstream and certain areas in society that that can't exist. That's not science. That's not empiricism. Uh, That's um, like he said, that's um, that's mysticism. That's um, dogma. So uh, and, you know, I got to give you props bear on the Matt Belair show you did with the skeptical guy. Um, I was one of the best shows I've ever heard you, on in relation to this because that's exactly what you said and that's what tom just said about this book he's like i'm open to it show me the way we like we're not dogmatic in any way like show me the science show me other uh, possibilities of where this could be and you'll take in that information look it over empirically see the data and make new discoveries and make or make new ideas about that and i think that's what we need to be doing that is what science is <clears throat>
1: And when waveform mechanics is allowed into the conventional discussion, then we can also entertain a lot of other concepts that would bring us, you know, the solutions to everything we seek. Um, So how do we all get there? You know, like this discussion today was great uh, and we took it to a certain level within the time limits, but now how do we explain you know, why people are getting sick in certain areas. And of course, we alluded to the concept of resonance and waveform mechanics would explain fully how resonance is the real stuff that manifests what we think of as materiality in the world. It's how we communicate, not through words, but through resonance. It's also uh, could explain a lot about what we blame on contagions. And um, it's something that we're now able to measure. And with those measurements, we can actually interject on that level of reality and change the resonance and sit back as we do very often and observe changes in what we think of as physicality. So I'm a very grounded, practical person as well. And I didn't, you know, a long time ago I was preoccupied with looking at bugs under a microscope. Before that, I was, uh, you know, more concerned about being a sports doctor and understanding how to fix muscles to repair knee injuries and things like that. So, you know, it's a journey, we're all on a journey. And for people that are not a part of medicine, I think some of these concepts are still very valuable Because even though you don't want to maybe delve deep into the science, it would explain a lot just to get the basic concepts so that we aren't out there, (laughs) uh, you know, in the conventional propaganda system arguing about things that really have no basis in reality and don't matter in the first place. And that's where we find ourselves right now. We're all glued to televisions, conventional doctor's offices uh, uh, educational institutions. And we just really need to separate Mike. You do a, a great job of discussing the need for decentralization and not trying to go into the the conventional systems and change them because they don't want to change. It's none of our business, what they do in the first place. We just have to start from scratch and create our own systems and build a new planet on top of that. And that's actually going in a lot of circles right now. And people would be very encouraged to know all of those amazing things that are going on behind the scenes that are getting gaslighted and never allowed to see the light of day in the public, even though we're doing some really fun things.
0: Yeah, RFK Jr. put a video out this week that I felt while, you know, and this comes down to just appreciating people's viewpoints. Obviously, we, I don't agree with a lot of things he says in it because it's based on a germ theory model um, of contagion. But his main thing that he really hits over, which, is you just said, is that there definitely seems to be this culmination of centralized corporatized control that is literally controlling reality now. And we're seeing it with this quote unquote election. And everything to do with the, the big pharma's control over information. And so, you know, it's important that, like you said, to, for everyone to make their own sovereign choices in, in every act they do. And understand that every time you do, you do turn on the television and in, or go to a doctor's office, you are inside that department of centralized control that does exist, that is there it's been proven over and over again and and i shared that rfk junior video last night on our telegram you know and i said you know i don't agree with a lot of stuff he says however that's okay it's important to have these discussions out because he really does an amazing job of showing how th- all those connections are working right now from the big pharma's hands and everything to how they re- how it relates to mainstream media how it relates to the corporatocracy in conjunction with government which is another just big corporation and you know you you asked a really good question today to dr tom which is why do so many physicians mds etc why don't they see this and that's because they're in that same bubble too they're in that same infrastructure they're raised into it that's what academia all of that is in that system so this is why decentralization why um why it's important for people to have their own sovereignty and be able to have the access to the information, right? Really, in the end, information is everything, who controls it, who can monetize it, who can um, you know, compartmentalize it. Information is really everything. And that's what viruses are too, is information. I mean, it's as above, so below. So um, fascinating how every time we do a show there, it all connects.
1: Yeah. And, and we have to understand, too, you know, we tend to look at people like doctors or engineers as these cerebral geniuses that have all this information that allows them to understand the secrets of the universe better than, you know, the rest of the people. But in reality, we are not um, intellectual beings. We are emotional beings. And all of us, <clears throat> no exceptions really operate on that level. So doctors have vested interests. Uh, They have uh, a need to be accepted and, uh, you know, have the approval of their colleagues, the approval of their, you know, patients and, and friends and family. And so it takes a great amount of courage for any of us to just look with new eyes, and if we see something different, actually to speak the truth, knowing that it's going to trigger the hell out of a whole lot of people. Uh, the other thing I think that people should realize, and I don't, uh, you know, have any idea what's going on in the head of, you know, certain people that seem to be doing a good job of countering the vaccine narrative and, and you know, the germ theory, theory, uh, theory nevita- narrative, uh, but especially with vaccines, you know, they are very careful to say, well, I'm not totally against vaccines, uh, there are contagions. So they seem to be saying some good things and, and then kind of go back into the conventional narrative. And I, I do know for a fact with some individuals, they have to do that because if they come out like an RFK, and again, I'm not saying this is the way he thinks, but if he came out and just did the whole enchilada at once, he would lose a lot of credibility with a lot of people. He would be demonized beyond beyond. And uh, so I think we all have to play the game. And I also think our present um, commander in chief is also playing the same game, because there's certain things that I know behind the scenes, and that's a whole story of things that he's involved with, uh, things that the lineage of his family has been involved with. So he's a lot more aware and sharper about things than people could possibly imagine. But if he were to come out in his particular capacity and spill the beans about everything, um, you know, if you think people have been merciless with them thus far, I mean, he wouldn't stand a chance if he did that. So everybody is playing the game, you know, the way they have to play it and still trying to get the ball a little bit downfield without, uh, you know, taking themselves out of the game completely. And I, you know, me, I'm not a a political person, so I don't have a dog in any fight, but I certainly see what's going on right in front of our eyes right now with them stealing the election, uh, you know, trying to take our country away and anybody that knows history Anybody that understands uh, the real operation of play, it doesn't take a genius to know what's going on. And we better get our heads screwed on straight. Otherwise, we're going to lose every single freedom we have. If we uh, doubt that at all, look what's going on in Europe. I talked to a friend in France the other day. He can't even go out of the house for more than a half an hour. He's already gotten tickets. If he gets one more, he's going to go to jail. Uh, People are getting arrested for not downloading the Tracer app. I mean, this is beyond beyond, and as things that years ago some of us knew they would try to do, and the only thing that astounds us now is they got this far, and the only reason is because we suffer for lack of knowledge,
0: yeah, yeah, and America's ground zero for for the mass awakening, so it, you know it's obvious why we're seeing everything going on with this, with this uh fraud because they cannot allow they're just this is like their last Gasping hope to stop the mass awakening, which, no matter what, I personally feel is happening. And uh, I have nothing but positivity and hope. I'm just manifesting everything in my life like crazy right now. So, everybody out there, just focus on on getting grounded and and in really embracing your own light. Dr. Edith Abunto Chan's amazing at that. Uh, she just did a, a wonderful um, mass. Meditation with Jazz Muheen uh, on right before the election. Who we will be having on next Thursday for AlphaCast and um, talk about um, everything you know that Barry you, we were mentioning about uh, going bigger and more beyond the material. This is what that talk will be about and how we. She's really good at at really encapsulating all these ideas of of how our spirit and our consciousness can overcome and really creates our reality, but it can overcome anything in the material. And that's really where we're at now. And that's, that encompasses everything we talk about. So that'll be next Thursday with Jazz um, which will be a great show. And then really don't have anyone else lined up for the rest of the month. I'm kind of hoping we can do a couple of shows Bear, I know you've been wanting to do the Trivium Quadrivium one, and then there's um, some other things. So we'll talk more about that, but guys, uh, be excited for next week's show. It should be great. And um, I think uh, we're good for now. Any final, any final words, Bear?
1: No, great talk today. And, uh, you know, bottom line, as long as we identify ourselves as our bodies, that's exactly where they want us because then they can play on our fears because whatever happens to the body, then we feel like that's happening to us. And the fear of death is, uh, is the, their ace in the hole that they play over and over and over again. And that's why they're getting so far with the pandemic because people are basically afraid of death. And uh, when we realize how can I die because I'm not my body in the first place and my body was never alive in the first place, then you know now you're in a whole different playing field.
0: Yeah, and the fact that the whole duality idea, right, and polarity, and we, we get constantly pulled back into the polarity, and that's what causes a lot of our issues, when we can pull back a little bit and understand the game of this realm, of this dimension, whatever you want to call it, and that is the polarity, and that's great, and we can play within the polarity, but understand the polarity is just the polarity, and we can supersede, our consciousness can rise above that, and there is no good, evil, bad, good, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the game. So, the more that we can remember that and remember who we truly are and tap into our higher self and, and, and do things with breath work and yoga and meditation and all these great things we talk about all the time, not only does it help your health, but it helps ground us to, to understand that just, there is no fear, no fear of death, no fear of, of anything. So that being said, um, guys, uh, we appreciate you. We love you. Thanks so much. Uh, what a wonderful show. Thank you, Tom, again, for being on with us. We'll make sure, uh, his link and everything is on the show notes and, uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Cheers. Thanks to everyone in the chat too. Sorry if I didn't get to your questions. There were some amazing questions we had. it. We, we wanted to give Tom as much of a, uh, time to speak. So, um, you know, uh, we'll follow up with him. I'd love to have him back on in the future too, because there's a million topics we can go through with him. So once again, guys, thank you everybody and, uh, get outside, uh, enjoy, uh, nature as much as you can. She is the, uh, the greatest healer. Cheers.